Welcome to the Televerse. Listen to the show. Yo, MC Books in the building, slipped in cleverly. So deadly, punch the flows heavily. They want to be the get down brothers, but they can never be. My controller got taste, I can be steadily. I'm MC Boom, the youngest set of crew. And when I run my rhyme for real, said I walk through hell with my gasoline drawers on. Bronx MC, some lethal black poison. I'm fly, dizzy D, all the ladies love me. The brothers know I'm now alone. So it started with a Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? Uh, I mean, not great. I mean, we had like a gazillion celebrity deaths within the span of a week, which is just not fair and kind no, of ridiculous i no. mean we had george michael we had carrie fisher mm-hmm. and then you know just for an added bonus debbie reynolds and it's like uh guys i mean i know 2016 doesn't want to run out the clock or anything and it has a leap second this year because the earth is getting slower by the way kate i don't know if you knew that <laughs> but the earth is getting slower it's not stressful at all <laughs> um, oh dear sweet baby so okay yeah it's been kind of like a it's been like a stressful week but it's also been like we've had a, we we ended up having a lot of really good folks on twitter this week and well yesterday <laughs> um <laughs> but no so it's been an okay week overall how's your week been my week has been better, except for all of the celebrity deaths. I was following uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, her like for updates, like what was going on with yeah. her, v- like closely, more closely than I followed a lot of that stuff. Uh, and I was surprised how closely I found myself following it. Um, but yeah, I so my family has made this year for the first time and hopefully the only time uh, a, a secondary tabletop tree, and it is a. Fun- 2016 tree (laughs) and so we went and we got a tacky spray painted white crappy tree sure that's on top of a cardboard table a card table i should say uh, uh, and with some really tacky glittery gold fabric okay um to be instead of the tree skirt with raggedy edges and everything and then we went and got the a bunch of wood ornaments from the super discount bin Mm -hmm. at joanne fabrics and some some like little pot paints you know yeah. like and of course we had to get some neon in there as well and we everybody in my family decorated their own ornaments for the gifts like we had some presents those were the, the things that 2016 had gifted to us mm-hmm. um like you know cancer was the gift that just kept giving right this year for my family uh and uh we <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, one of the gifts of 2016 um one of my family members had the freaking emails um yeah. we had i couldn't figure um, out a way to work them into the list this year <laughs> no no um it just just lots of we really uh embraced that this week and all the various different ways that 2016 has been a special one for our family like when i was in a three-car pileup on 290 and my car got totaled and uh, it wasn't that bad because of how it turned out but if something had gone slightly different that's not a road that you want to be in a three-car pileup on um, is there a road you want to be on a three-car pileup on 
Not really. Yeah, I, 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 as a pedestrian, I immediately go, that doesn't sound like a good... There's no road that's a good road for but that. But, like, it's just... It's a high-speed, high-volume okay. place, is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, but anyways, so, so the different things like that. Uh, and so then we're going to have the burning of the tree okay. on New Year's Eve. Nice. I really like this. And, this is much better than my New Year's Eve plan, which was watching the Tom Cavanaugh snow movies and drinking <laughs> wine. <laughs> I don't even know. I like Tom Cavanaugh. I don't know what these are. Oh, God. They're Hallmark movies where he plays, like, Santa Claus who has amnesia. And there are two of them. Um, <laughs> like, you had me at Santa Claus with amnesia. Right. And it's got Ashley Williams as the as the love interest and Patrick Fabian as the bad guy. And it's just like, that is really good casting across the board for one of these. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I can't wait to watch them because I have nothing else to do on New Year's. <laughs> We'll be doing, uh, my family has apparently had collective amnesia after swearing them off vigorously a couple years ago. We will be doing a puzzle again. No, oh, no, not puzzles. No, but it's fun and lovely until nope. everyone else loses to the puzzle. They give in and they, they walk away and yep. then it's just a couple of us to the bitter end but we got a we got a we only got a thousand piece puzzle this year usually we do three thousand piece puzzles so this is a much more reasonable puzzle um hopefully it will be fun uh, i'll report back on that next yeah week. let me know but, how that um... goes because I, I i hate puzzles i'm not good at them <laughs> they make they make my head hurt as you said, uh, Noel, we did hear from a lot of our listeners this week and from... from uh, Well, maybe people who people. will listen for the first time now. <laughs> well, and some of those, yeah. too, hopefully. But uh, I wanted to give a, a, a shout-out to Carl, who always sends his, his Christmas card. Always appreciate getting that, Carl. Um, and we heard from uh, Dominic on the uh, Facebook page. And then I threw out some different... Um, uh, thoughts about our smorgasbordy which is what for new listeners this is our best of everything else so last week we did our top 20 tv shows of the year this is the best of everything else we could possibly imagine that we want to talk about and uh some that we maybe don't and so that'll be coming uh that's why it's a long one this week uh so i threw out a couple like well what are we gonna do for fill in the blank and heard some ex excellent suggestions from Karita, eric witness aria shan uh tin jacobson beth and oren we also heard from Brandy, uh, who was very glad that Supergirl was on our in our conversation last week. We heard from Carl about People of Earth for the same reason. Uh, we had a Netflix show, Travelers, and specifically the episode Protocol 5 suggested to us by Dave, which I had not heard of that one. So Yeah, Netflix has been pushing Travelers on me, like, nonstop. Like, they don't even care that, I'm, that I'd rather... I want to try the OA. They're just like, no, you want to watch this Eric McCormick show. And I just went... Wait, what? But you guys just had this other show that no one knew about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so I didn't even know that he was in that one. So yeah. there we go. Now I do. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if, if I if I find time for that one uh, anytime soon. But uh, we we have a lot of, of TV to talk about. It's going to be a lot of fun. I For the occasion, I've got here some bubbly that I'll be sipping on. I thought that seemed festive. It does seem festive. Uh, and uh, then hopefully uh, we'll at least I'll slow down a little bit. Right? <laughs> so no, I just try to enunciate. I have twenty. I have twenty four ounces of water to keep me hydrated for this. Yeah. There you go. That works too. Um, so now we are going to dive in with our first set, our first category, our first set of awards, and these are the performance awards. Uh, so Noel, 
to kick us off here, um, shall we do, uh, do, do you want to do men first or women first? Uh, we can do men first and yeah. Do men first? Yeah. So, so we have our first, uh, award here is for best lead performance by, uh, by a man or a male role, comedic or dramatic, whatever you want. Who came to mind? Well, I, I, I did, for a lot of these, I did like two, um, for both, mm-hmm. one for comedic, one for dramatic, cause it's our podcast and who cares? Um, yep. We make our own rules here. Um, so for dramatic, uh, no surprise, I picked uh, Sterling K. Brown uh, for People versus OJ. Uh, just, I, I really don't think there was a better dramatic male performance this year than what he turned in. And then for comedic, um, no surprise as well, because I mentioned this uh, during our top 20, but Ted Danson just had me in stitches for all of the good place uh, so far this season. And I just couldn't get enough of him talking about suspenders or have you seen Hamilton? Do you see what she did to her hair? And just all sorts <laughs> of really fun stuff or describing the bureaucracies of the good place in ways that made complete sense. I loved it. So those were my two lead performances uh, this year. What were yours? Um, I just have a bunch for these different categories. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't like specifically go for comedic and dramatic, okay. but um, you mentioned Sterling K. Brown. I had him as well, as well as Courtney B. Vance, who was so terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have Matthew Reese and sure. Clint Crawford, uh, which maybe that's supporting, but for me, I don't know. That's the performance that stood out. And, and so that's where I put him. Oh, but uh, you mean for lethal weapon. That's totally a lead performance. Of course. That's, <laughs> That's a thing that I no no, but um, but we do love Clint Crawford here on the podcast. What about uh, for for women or female characters? Right. So um, again, it was uh, OJ and Good Place uh, split with uh, Sarah Paulson taking Best Dramatic. Um, again, I don't think there's any argument about her. And then Kristen Bell again for the similar reasons, uh, basically making Eleanor just deeply human in and terrible, but in ways that you don't hate her. You just go. Yeah, you're a really unpleasant person, and I wouldn't want to be around you for any extended period of time. But yet, I still kind of like you because you're Kristen Bell. And I think that that's where a lot of that comes from, is just that Bell is so charismatic that she's able to make even Eleanor really likable, even in her deep unlikability. So those were my two choices. Uh, What about you? Those are terrific. I had Sarah Paulson. um, Yeah. But I went... um, also with Carrie Russell. This is the thing. I feel like I should specify, uh, listeners, all the main performances and elements of the shows that were, especially in our top, like, five, top ten, yeah. would probably work for all of these categories. Yeah. We're not going to just keep saying them, though, because that's boring. <laughs> um, so, yes, Carrie Russell, but Americans was my number two. I kind of figured y'all know that sure. I love that. Um, also, Rachel Bloom, because what she does on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the, the, the gamut she rolls, and believably and engagingly with that character, I think is uh, really impressive. Uh, and Issa Rae. But the, the big standout for me is Julie Louis-Dreyfus for Veep. And she, yes, she wins all the awards. She has all of the Emmys. But then you watch the episode, like, like this season of Veep, there were like at least three ones where you watch and you go, well, that's her Emmy episode. It's amazing. It's so, you know, it's so terrific. And very different episodes and performances that are very different from each other, but all grounded entirely in who the character is. She's just that good. And she's working with material that plays so much to her strengths. I'm trying to think of something that wouldn't play to her strengths and having a hard time with that, actually, because um, Julie Dreyfus is amazing. It has a lot of range. But um, I just, you know, when you have someone that 
that good and they're getting given the right material they're gonna knock it out of the park every time so julie dreyfus i also wanted to just give a shout out to two who are like in a different tier but um it's just so wonderful to see them finally getting material worthy of them mm-hmm. any thoughts on who i'm i'm going for with this no no but i do no i don't know yeah uh michelle monahan on the path good, good choice good choice and natalie z on detour also, wow, those are two really good choices because, yeah, they're both finally getting material that works really to their... That's, those are really two very good choices. Yeah, it's, it's been too long since they had, you know, good material. In yeah. some cases, or, you know, ever. Ever, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. kind of ever, yeah. So those, those are the <laughs> ones that came to mind. How about for supporting uh, male performance? Right, so this is, this is fun because I picked the same person for both for this one. Okay. Uh, do you want to guess? Uh, I should know, but no, go for it. No, uh, so it's Johnny Ray Gill, uh, for Underground and Brain Dead. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, just... I thought you meant for male and female. I was so confused. No, 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 for male. Sorry. I was like, is there a character that gender swapped in the middle? Like, that could totally happen on a few of the shows that we watch. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, no, for male performance, it was Johnny Ray Gill, uh, for Underground. Um, but also, he's just really, really funny as Gustav on, uh, Brain Dead. And Braindead actually ended up showing up a lot, so something to look forward to, I guess. Um, I was going to say, that's not the last time that uh, John yeah. will be appearing on, no. on in our conversation here. <laughs> and then, do you want me to do female? Um, sure, go for it. Sure. So, uh, for dramatic, uh, I went with uh, Tina Lifford, uh, who plays Aunt V on Queen Sugar. Um, just f- phenomenal work that she was turning in. And I hadn't seen her in anything before, so this was... I hadn't seen pretty much anyone in Queen Sugar before with the exception of a Rutina Wesley. So this was like a whole smokersborg of really great people, but she stood out quite obviously because V also has like some of the best writing on the show. Um, but for comedic, uh, really absolutely no surprise. Um, it's Donalyn Champlin um, from Crazy mm-hmm. Ex-Girlfriend because who else I think could it be? Um, the woman just similar to um, what, how you were discussing uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is that she's given a range of material each week and knocks it out of the park each week. And I, I'm, I'm always eager to see what they give Donna and to see how Champlin spins it, what she does with it. I can't get enough of it. So what about you? Who are your supporting folks that stood out this year? Um, well, we've got some overlap here, but uh, to start out uh, with with the male performances, we got uh, Jim Broadbent from London Spy. I thought was terrific okay, good. in his yeah. few episodes. Um, Fred Melamed, just so good on Lady Dynamite. Uh, mm-hmm. Terrific. Um, and from One Mississippi, John Rothman. Really, yeah. really uh, good choice, yeah. Yeah, really was terrific. And again, one that I'm sure I've seen him in a million things, but this was the mm-hmm. one that made me learn his name. Yes. Uh, and then we, this, uh, for... Uh, women here uh you stole some of mine uh <laughs> darcy carden as janet on the good place uh mm-hmm. and Alison wright as martha on the americans but yeah aunt vi on queen sugar like when i was trying to think i was like well all the ladies of queen sugar right but if i have to pick one i guess i'll go with aunt vi so yeah there's there's a lot of really terrific performances and on a different day probably we'd pick some different ones but these are the ones for today and yeah those are some Badass, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, most acting. Most acting. So, and, and was this a positive or a negative thing for you? This was a positive thing. Like, 
for the most part, I, I almost always veer towards scenery chewing when you tell me most acting. Um, I think I did that last year as well. And I, I think we have the same pick, but go ahead. Do we? Because uh, did we both pick Tony Shalhoub? Oh, no, we didn't. No, but no, but that's yeah. a great pick. Yeah, no, I picked great. Tony Shalhoub as um, the random senator on uh, Brain Dead, but God, he was just eating everything in sight. And the thing is, is like, it shouldn't have worked in any way, shape, or form, but it's all really good and it's all very, very funny. So Shalhoub was my pick. Who was your pick? I was. Who was who should I have picked basically so that well, we lined up? <laughs> Shalhoub is terrific, and as soon as you said that, I was like, oh well, yeah, that's perfect. But John Travolta. Oh, Travolta's American a good choice story. too. Yeah, yeah. He, and, and in the best possible way, yeah. is perfect for the character and for the. And that was terrific. Of course, there's also Tatiana Maslany, just like by on, sheer on number, math, right? Yeah, level. But yeah, that's that's um that you know that I feel like it's important to mention her as well. But yeah, Travolta was the one who first popped to mind, but. Salute, man. That's a good pick. Okay, uh, did you have anyone for least acting? I didn't this year. Uh, I couldn't think of anyone that really, like, stood out as... For least acting, I almost always veer towards, like, a very naturalistic sort of Jodie Foster approach to acting. And no one in particular really stood out. Like, I could, like, if pressed, I would be, like, Aiden Young in a heartbeat. And yeah, because but he's also doing so much but acting. But that's the, the thing, is he's doing yeah. a ton. You just don't see it. Um, yeah. So I didn't have anyone this year for uh, least acting. Did you? Did you find someone? Well, I have someone that I've had before. Okay. Um, but for a different show, and I'm actually starting to feel bad, maybe. But I like, it, but it's perfect for the role, and that's H. John Benjamin on People of Earth. Because <laughs> he's in like he. Can't, it's not like I'm not trying to diminish his what his his work and what he's co- contributing but like he shows up to have like three lines in a given episode most of the time yeah and they're just super deadpan and this is the exact same delivery he does on bobs and the exact same delivery he does on archer uh well very well, close yeah, I would say. yeah it's closer um, to bobs than archer yeah and and i've done him before for bobs sure but, but it's just it's so perfect <laughs> it works so well and uh, and like i do i feel him acting wait he's doing way more with archer i would say with like really doing an arc and every now and again on bobs he has that as well yeah but uh, people of earth i mean it just that's the one that popped him into my brain and i'm sure there are many others i was scouring my brain i wanted to have i wanted to have a couple different picks but that's just the one i kept coming back to so yeah h on benjamin people of earth so much fun with just the simplest delivery. Exactly what it should be. Um, I have another boring pick for voice acting, so I'm going to go first. I just, I can't get away from Dee Dee Magno Hall. Same, same, same. On Steven Universe yeah, as, no. as Pearl. Yeah, same, same. I, yeah. Who, who else do you pick? There are, there are, I mean, there are lots of people who've been terrific yeah. in comedic and in dramatic ways, um, but just with Mr. Greg and everything, that's just... And last yeah. one out of last one out of Beach City, she's phenomenal in that one too. These mm. pants, <laughs> <laughs> the collar is popped because it's not supposed to go that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, how about reality personality? I I really veered towards two shows with this, but um, who did you come up with? See, I think last year I really struggled with this one, but this year, this year, I had it. Yeah. It was easy. There was no other competition for this one. It was drunk celebrities on Match Game. <laughs> that was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so that was my choice. Is like, I, these people were super pickled. Some of them were really, really pickled. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was very, very fun. And it was the, also the only time I could 
reasonably working match came to this discussion, which was a surprise delight this year. Yeah. Um, so what about you? What were your reality personalities? I'm assuming they were from Drag Race. Well, yeah, they, they, that is one of the shows. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I have um, Tatiana and Alyssa Edwards. Tatiana okay. was delightful. I was so glad that, that she got more screen time this season because uh, she was mm-hmm. off so quickly in, in season two. And when, so and that seemed to happen again, but then when she came back, she really made the most of her return. Um, and uh, the stuff we got from Alyssa in All-Stars 2, I thought was really interesting because she's still, like, the counting one too many people because she counted herself in the mirror as well as herself in person. Um, but you also got to see... She she also showed a lot of canniness in her interactions with the queens and in reading the room and in some of these different situations as well. So it's like, yeah, you can have that and also this at the same time. So I really appreciated her showing that and the, the editors bringing that out as well and the producers, I'm sure. Um, but I also wanted to give some love to Michelle Visage because I thought she was on point. Now, yes, she was really tough uh, in the first episode, the judging in the first episode. But I thought and just in general, she was on point pretty much all season. And, and I thought she was uh, she did a terrific job, really enjoyed her. And then this is gonna, the Top Chef's going to come back um, later in our discussion a little bit, but um, Padma, I just always love Padma, and she conveys so right. much just with her, like, she can be super silly and fun, and all, and just really giddy in the excitement of different things that are going to happen, and then just withering with just a glance. Yeah. She's terrific, and so is Gail, so is Tom, so are a lot of different oh. realities. Gail is great. I love Gail. Yeah. But, but for whatever reason, I, w- I went with Padma as, as okay. mentioned as well. Um, for most novel casting, does this one was this one tricky for you this this year? No, I had like one choice for this. Like there was only one person in my brain for this one. Okay, and that was Craig Robinson on Mr. Robot. Um, I thought that was just a really sly. It was by far and away my favorite part about Mr. Robot this year. And I just thought that he bought his Craig Robinson energy to the show. But in a way that served the show really well, um, and this is one of the few compliments I get to pay Mr. Robot um, this season, and I think it just really worked, and it worked against his type, but still within his type in a lot of ways, and so it still felt incredibly novel that they went with him for that for that role. Uh, what about you? What did you pick? I actually went with a show. Okay. Uh, this year, which is, was new for me, but uh, I gave some love here to Drunk History. Nice. Good choice. Good choice. For their gender and race bending um, mm-hmm. in their casting, I loved in, uh, we talked on the show about with the Shakespeare episode that John Cho played Shakespeare, um, and also in the Hamilton episode they did, everybody was women. <laughs> that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, also, of course, they did their Stonewall story and made sure they cast trans women um, in those roles, and that's something that a lot of depictions of Stonewall don't bother to do. Um, so I really appreciated that as well. Um, so yeah, Drunk History. Way to go. Way to go, Drunk History. Um, now we're to our ensembles. Yeah. What, what shows want, were, you know, for you had the best use of their, not just they have a really good cast, because lots of shows have a really good cast, but yeah. which show really utilized all of their pieces? It's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, they routinely give great material to even like their bit players, basically and which helps really round out the world and that's really important when you have an ensemble as talented as they have on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend but it really brings everything together in really nice ways when even Hector feels semi well defined 
in what's kind of a throwaway joke role. So it's totally crazy ex-girlfriend for me for its best uses its ensemble to its fullest. Uh, what about you? I have um, American Crime Story. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's a boring answer, but it feels right. <laughs> and then Superstore. Also a good choice. Yeah. I, again, I've really appreciated how they've used some of their, like, they've built up some of their more peripheral characters and given them their own storylines and their own motivations um, instead of just staying so focused on on the leads and, like, the central, like, three or four characters. They've really, I felt like, given um, external lives to everybody and let basically let, let a talented comedy cast do their thing. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to give some little to Superstore. How about who had the most underrated ensemble? I feel like Underground's cast doesn't get enough attention. Um, it's I have a, Underground too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's, and I think it's something that's going to get ignored in part because it's on WGN, and in part because it's something that aired a little weirdly in the television season this year. But their cast is one that really gelled very quickly, and that in ways that it's the writing's fault that like Maloney's character just kind of feels weirdly extraneous in ways it's not the performance's fault and it's not the cast's fault that that's the case so it's underground's really quick chemistry and it's especially in how it's two on two characters Lucas and um Jessica Degau basically went oh you don't like us well guess what and finding ways to do that through performance, but also through scripting. Um, but yeah, it's definitely Underground's ensemble is vastly underrated, I think. Yeah. What about you? Well, no, that's yeah. why I said that was my pick. Yeah. That yeah. was the only one. Like, because there were, um, I, f I feel like the other shows that came to mind for me with this, and there were uh -huh. a bunch of them, were, yeah. all, were all shows that have been just roundly praised by people for their the their deep bench whereas underground i think has flown too much under the radar in the 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 listening as i always say um sure. at the end of the year I, I think too many people have forgotten it and yeah. um and it, it, there's just all of these like the bench people who get like two episodes but get, actually get meaty stuff to play are terrific in those two episodes <laughs> they might get killed off <laughs> yes. or two later but um i i do think across the board the 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 ensemble on underground is very underrated i couldn't even think of anybody for overrated ensemble i couldn't either i feel like this year has been really solid in terms and overrated is a weird thing to kind of engage with because you have to go to like critical consensus or at least like praise consensus and i couldn't really find any cast that i immediately went no you guys are wrong about all of that. And I just went, nah. so I couldn't think of anyone. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't think of anyone at all. <laughs> yeah. And let us know if you guys think, you know, can come up with something. But for, for me, at least, and, and it sounds like for you, it's just like, no, I feel like everybody's pretty much appropriately praised. Pretty appropriately yeah. praised. Um, what about best cameo? Right, so this was the cameo that like tickled me the most, and then the show manages to use it in a really fun way, and I went with Method Man and Luke Cage. <laughs> um, that was awesome. That's true. yeah. That's no, good. I mean he just shows up in the gap. He shows up in the convenience store, and you're just like he gets his he gives up his jacket, which I love, and then gets the bullet torn one. But then he shows up like a few scenes later to do a spontaneous rap about Luke Cage in a really nicely done montage sequence, though not my best montage. And yeah, so it was just a really solid cameo that 
surprised me, but the, the show used really, really well. So it was Method Man, and that was like the only cameo that immediately came to mind. So that was my choice. Uh, what about you? What one? What one? Who was your best cameo? With a tear, Hillary Clinton on Broad City. Oh, yeah, it's good. I like that. Yeah. Also, Whoopi Goldberg on Broad City. I think it may be even in the same episode, which is the randomly it turns into a Sister Act 2 parody or reference. Yes, I think it is the same episode. And yeah, that was yeah. really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, just like, and now, no, we're doing this. And then she just shows up. But uh, yeah, Hillary Clinton and everybody who was whining on, well, I shouldn't be so polemic in my language. Everyone who was arguing that Abby and Alana would have been Bernie supporters and not Clinton supporters were watching a different show, guys. That felt very appropriate to the show and to them and to the hope we all felt as Hillary supporters, those of us who were at that time of the year. But moving swiftly on, uh, who did you have for guest appearance? Like, I had, I have a lot of them. Who did you have for guest appearances? Uh, I, I went with the one that I, I just amused me the most, and that was Adam Scott as Trevor on The Good Place. Mm-hmm. Um, the, he just went whole hog with Trevor, and the script let him. But, I mean, he he's just horrible. Horrible, horrible. <laughs> and Scott leans into it really, really nicely. So that was, by far and away, my best guest appearance. Uh, what about you? What was yours? Well, uh... You have a huge th- list, so I want to hear I, it. I have, like, five of them. Um, first of all, we were not gonna have a end of the year best of thing and not mention Tim the Oliphant on the grinder. He's later in my list, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Um, then also, um, on Transparent, uh, Tracer Tracy, uh, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, Lizette as Shay was terrific in her, I, I want to say like one episode, maybe two, um, I also thought that John Bernthal was really terrific on Daredevil as Punisher, Good. Frank yeah. Castle. Um, and then on the comedy side, uh, oh, let me see, what order should I do this? Okay, Fred Armisen showed up as Jesus on Man Seeking Woman, and it was delightful. <laughs> it was super duper fun. And Vanessa Williams on Broad City. Just, oh, nice choice. She was so wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that's who I went with. Um, now, Sixth Man and Sixth Woman. I had trouble with this one. I, I got a nine and an eight. But I was shooting for double digits, and I just, I'm sure that those people were out there who were in double digit TV shows this year and terrific and everything. Um, but I just, I had a heck of a, I need to keep better track. Like, you have a spreadsheet. I need to do a spreadsheet next year. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anyone for either of these just because the amount of research necessary I did not do. <laughs> um, this is, Fair this enough. is all you. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I remember struggling to come up with Mary Steenburgen last year. Uh, it was a terrific pick, though. Right, but she also wasn't in over five series. I think she was oh, in four, and we just yeah. went, you're new, it's okay, you're fine. <laughs> and But this year I just went, I'm, I can't, I'm sorry. So I, I failed completely in this regard. That's okay, but... that's okay. <laughs> um, my honorable mention goes to Ron Cephas Jones, who some people had suggested. He was only in four, mm-hmm. uh, but they were prominent so obviously he was in the get down and mr robot but the big ones were luke cage and this is us um but my winners for this are ken marino who is in nine series uh let me list them off here uh we have uh wander over yonder vinyl let's you know pretend about that one uh house of lies but he was also in children's hospital of course fresh off the boat bob's burgers brooklyn 99 agent carter and i zombie so good year for ken marino uh, also, on a gas tire, 
who was an eight. So really? we have wow. yes. Okay. The the Lion Guard, uh, Mike Tyson Mysteries, um, Harvey Beaks, uh, Grease Live. She was the principal. Um, but she was also in the Goldbergs, People of Earth, of course. Um, did I say Maya? I did say Maya and Marty. And, of course, Lady Dynamite, where she was a prominent role in that. So, yeah. So, eight for, for Anna Gasteyer. And, listeners, let us know, the people that we clearly overlooked who, you know. Yeah. And especially I overlooked us, slew probably. It's <laughs> on, the, uh, like, on the comedy side is where you tend to find more people popping up for one thing here and there. So, I'm sure that's where... Um, where I should be looking, but but yes, yeah, so those are our um, performance picks. Very fun. Now we will take a break, listen to a little music. I need to refresh my my bubbly here, and we'll be back with our production awards right after this. Wake up really early just to cook for my friends. Later in the field at night, I thought I saw death. Made myself a boat and I sailed with a whale. Took TV to the market so he could try kale and some other stuff. I'd rather be anything but me, a leaf on a tree, a bug or a bee. I just want to see the sea. I want to be free from this body, this flower body. Bad stuff happens in the bathroom. I did I'm just glad that it happens in a vacuum. Can't let them see me with my pants down. And we're back. Hopefully you guys enjoyed a little bit, a little sampling of the year's music. The music category, however, is not up yet. Right now we have production awards. Um, I, I felt bad. I couldn't think of any good comedy direction ones. The one that came to mind felt like a cheat because it's not how the show usually does things. And that's blackish and hope. Uh, sure. but so that's kind of a cheat. We're going to give the hope some more love later in, in our, in our categories here, but I, I, that's the one that came to mind. I'm not good at comedy direction. I gotta be honest. Like I usually don't, I'm too busy laughing. So I'm not <laughs> noticing what I should be noticing. No, direction comedy can be difficult. I feel like, honestly, I feel like it's a lot easier to notice it in, like, multi-cam sitcoms, mm -hmm. for me anyway, than it is in single-cam sitcoms, because so much of single-cam sitcoms is in the editing, yeah. more so than it is in the direction, um, which is at least how I approach it. So I feel like directors can get kind of lost in single-cam. Yeah. And, I mean, I can tell you about some really good performances in The Ranch, Kate, yeah. but I can't tell you if that was from the direction or just the fact that Sam Elliott's a really good actor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Did you, who, who did you have for, for drama direction? Uh, drama direction was actually really easy, and I picked it for two reasons. And I mentioned this last week, but it's Queen Sugar, both from an aesthetics perspective, uh, because the show is gorgeously uh, framed and put together, but also industrially, because like I mentioned, again, this show went out of its way to make sure that all of its episodes were directed by women. And that's a huge thing for uh, both those women involved in the production, but also women in general. Uh, breaking into the industry, and it's a really good sign. So, notable drama direction for two reasons, definitely, for Queen Sugar. Uh, what about you? I thought of uh, Better Call Saul. Okay, uh, which cool, is good choice. Not a show that's popping up very much on um, 
you know, didn't, it wasn't in my top 20. Um, it's not going to be a lot here in, for, for me, but I did really notice the visual. Tra- I always notice the aesthetic of the show and the way it's put together. And um, I do think they do a terrific job with that. We had some, some memorable sequences, um, which will t- take us into our, our next category here, which is cinematography. I also have Better Call Saul for cinematography. Okay. Um, the lighting and the way that they put the show together is always very memorable to me. Um, I have a few others, but... Uh, the other two I have are The Night Manager and and Then There okay. Were None, which were just all shows that oh, were Then so There beautiful. Were None was really gorgeous. That's a really good choice. Um, but that leads into like my pick for cinematography because both have Aiden Turner. Uh-huh. And um, that's uh, Poldark, uh, which does really great stuff with, um, of course, people on horseback riding across English vistas mm-hmm. uh, which is the show's bread and butter or people walking along the surf which is also the show's bread and butter but uh, they're the shot choices that they make and also just where they position folks for lighting and everything it's a really it's a really gorgeous show to look at uh, but and then there were none is also a really good choice and I kept thinking about and then there were none for a lot of things and then would always think of something else um, but that's, that that was a good choice. I like that a lot. Oh well, thank you. Um, You're for uh, yeah, and I'm not surprised you say Paul Dark because that is the, the the if there was going to be something to get me to watch it, it was going to be that. So yeah. I still haven't, but we'll see if I do <laughs> next year. How about costuming? Did anything stand out to you for costuming? Costuming, I just went. Whose clothes do I want the most? And, okay, well, <laughs> Joan Watson. Obviously. Joan Watson's obviously, but I also this year went with uh, Brain Dead's costuming, specifically Mary Elizabeth Winstead's um, myriad of blouses and dresses that she has on throughout that show. Were all really, really fantastic. But they also dress the men fairly well in the show as well. Um, Tevitt's uh, character has some really solid suits that I think look really, really nice. But basically, Winstead's um, costume is just great, which isn't surprising because these are from the same people who do The Good Wife, and the costume on The Good Wife was always one of its strongest elements. Uh, so what about you? What was your costuming choice? I have two, and they're they're okay. super predictable and uh, and boring, but they're just so good. And that's Game of Thrones. Michelle okay. Clapton and April Ferry um, are who came up as the costume designers, but of course the whole department. Um, and the, the costume, if you're going to pick one, everybody's going to go, it's the shot that everybody keeps using for the season, which is of Cersei and the armor-inspired uh, look that is very similar to her father's uh, armor. Uh, was a terrific, just single look. But the whole, the whole, I mean, the work they do on that show is terrific. And it's something that Tom and Lorenzo talk about over on their blog and at, on the Pop Style Opinion Fest, their, their podcast, the idea of costuming being so driven by character and telling the story, just like you would in, in any other aspect of of, yeah. um, of television or film um, or, or just any other aspect of art, you're trying to convey a, a mood and emotion, but also uh, tell a story. And they really do that in Game of Thrones. Also, Outlander and Terry Dresback and that whole department. I mean, that the red dress, right? The red dress, right. Um, which I don't read the books, but apparently that's a big deal from the books. And it's just so gorgeous. They went to France this year and um, that meant that they got to slash had to <laughs> um, go for the court looks, which are sumptuous and over the top. And it, But it's not just about the biggest and the most costuming, uh, which both shows could be, you know, like picking those could be. Uh, construed as just praising them because they have the most also the simple stuff the like when 
someone just is wearing like a slip or like they're asleep or just the t the cut of the trousers and the 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 coats on the men because uh, these of course are both period pieces um those also tend to tell a story tend to be connected to other parts of the uh the narrative and you know can just really help build the world of these shows um so yeah that's those are who i i went with sort of predictable um but still memorable i have another predictable pick here for set design and again it's just game of thrones because they had a lot of really pretty stuff <laughs> rob cameron is the designer but like what they exploded the keep <laughs> and so it was like i was so sad to see it go because it's been mm -hmm. so pretty the, the the um or the sept i should say the grand sept um and these different uh these different spaces are just absolutely gorgeous um so that's who that's who i went with did you have anybody for set design i did um I picked the crown for set design. I really appreciated uh, how, even though I wasn't like a huge, huge fan of the show, its use of its dressing its set, I think, really showed in a lot of ways. And its spaces felt unique and individual to the characters that they need when they needed to. And that's a lot to do with just who decides what the set looks like, what props are visible. And the the kind of upstairs downstairs approach to the palace, I think, comes through quite a bit in it as well. And even choices like having their bedrooms feel slightly different just speaks to the degree to which that they paid a lot of attention to how everything was being dressed. So the crown really stood out for me in that regard. Um, the another one actually just popped into my mind, which is not as much about set design as it is use of a pre-existing set, and that's the good place, which mm -hmm. really which uses the back lot, um, and so it's not they aren't designing that you know they, they they are in that they have to dress it and everything, but it's not like they're they're designing new spaces. But I think that's just such a smart way to to do it to do the mm -hmm. show, and it gives it's because there's this feel of the way it's supposed to look. You know, yeah. like the way it looks in the movies, the way it's supposed to look. And that's because it's what it is, but that really works <laughs> for the world as well. So that one also came to mind. Um, I'm kind of cheating for hair and makeup, so we're going to kind of glaze over that pretty quickly. But I, sure. uh, but I, I had the queens from Drag Race All-Stars. All-Stars <laughs> specifically, um, right. because they killed it every week. Um, and because it really, like, some of the stuff we saw, like Fifi, do with like and in season eight of course uh, kim chi do the stuff she was doing was amazing but um in in um like the blue alien and everything and then we saw like the super dramatic black with the red and everything um uh some i you know what i love is that i know the people who watch drag race know exactly which which outfits i'm talking about here and uh, despite my uh really <laughs> lackluster descriptions but um on the whole the hair and makeup throughout all stars was just really terrific and so it's not the hair and makeup departments of series but it's sure. still it's still right. people creating and crafting and putting together those looks and so shout out to just as a group the queens um from from drag race uh, i also i have a quick pick here for editing i wanted to give some love to lady dynamite for their editing um andy morish and daniel hayworth now Listeners, the way that I found these names is that I just went on IMDb and there's a lot of names for each of these <laughs> different departments and I hoped that I got the heads 
Um, but that also means everybody who contributed to it. But stitching together the different timelines um, of Lady Dynamite in a way that is organic, but also makes sense, but also allows for payoffs at certain points of the series, um, that it could have been a complete jumbled mess. And I'm sure for some people it might have felt like that because it's not a show for everyone. But for me, it was really very cohesive and worked really well. So I wanted to give some love to Lady Dynamite. But um, let's move swiftly on because we got to slather some praise on Adventure Time and Bad Jubies, which obviously is the pick for most inventive animation this year, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, this was my only choice for this. Uh, it's a really well done stop motion. It had been in production for quite some time because stop motion takes a lot of time to do even when you're doing an 11 minute episode of something it take it was an 11 minute episode right yeah i believe so yes yeah i mean that still takes quite a bit of time and it looks really great it's really whimsical in a way that still feels like adventure time but also pay plays to to the benefits and styles of stop motion which again points to whenever adventure time lets does these kind of more experimental episodes in terms of style like they did um with the food cycle episode specifically uh last year um that it still feels like adventure time but it feels like a special episode of adventure time yeah and so totally bad jubies <laughs> well as i refill my my glass here um, let's move on to our, our next, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say something better or more fitting to praise Bad Jubies. It was gorgeous. It was super yeah. hyped for a long time and it still delivered. Terrific, terrific episode. Um, but let's move on to our next category and that is writing. So many to choose from. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to not just praise the ones that we always do. Um, well, that might you should have told anyways. me that. You, you should have told me not to do that. Okay, so, so. Who, so who who gets all, who gets who gets your love for writing for a comedy series? Uh, it's a good place. Um, but if I had to pick like a few more, and uh -huh. I can go um, for it, it would definitely like right now. Brooklyn Nine Nine, I think, is on a really nice hot streak. And while Crazy Ex Girlfriend's a comedy, its stuff has been more dramatic recently, but it's still been on a really solid hot streak as well. So I think that those three would definitely be my, like, best choices. Oh, and I went with Crazy Ex Girlfriend for this. Mm -hmm. Because, not just because of the what they wrote, but because of the choices they've made in what stories to tell and the the execution of them. So they didn't have to do a Greg is an alcoholic storyline, but they did. And they did it really well. And they didn't have to do uh, Daryl figures out that he's bi and starts dating white Josh, but they did. And the, you know, the, I, I quibbled with the, the execution of the abortion storyline for Donna. Uh, sorry, not for Donna. That's the actress. <laughs> um, Paula. For, for Paula. But, but again, they didn't have to do that story and they did. And they on the whole did it very well. So not only does crazy ex-girlfriend tackle mental health, but it is interested in so much more. And it always treats, like we say, and whenever we talk about the show, it treats all of its characters with this respect and this understanding while also never sacrificing the funny. It's also super yeah. funny. Um, and the show balances that so incredibly well. Uh, I just had to give it some love for, for comedy writing as and also drama writing but comedy writing how about drama series what came to mind uh well we discussed this as well last week but it's people versus oj and it's for the reason that we talked about in which they managed to encapsulate a number of different perspectives on society in ways that felt cohesive to the story that they were telling and in ways that still felt dramatically urgent 
and that's a really difficult thing to balance and they balance it very very well so I, I I could come up with a couple of other shows, but they'd be just really far down in comparison to mm -hmm. how well written I thought People vs. O.J. Simpson was. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I had that one as well for the reasons that you listed, and I also had The Americans. Um, for, mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're on their fourth, fifth season? Fourth. I'm, fourth, right? And they're going to have six. Why do I know that and yeah. you don't? <laughs> well, because I couldn't remember if fifth just happened or was about to. Um, but yeah, so they're they they just have their fourth season, and they keep like I said last week, they keep building, they keep finding new ways. Just like you think they're in this corner, there's no way that they can believably get out of it and have it fit the characters and fit the world and fit and and be true to the reality they've built. And then they do, and then they they keep finding new ways to turn the screw and turn the screw. Um, so. Yeah, I had to give I had to give writing to the Americans. They just keep, continue to astonish me every year, as well as, of course, for all the reasons you mentioned, American Crime Story. Um, for sketch comedy, did you go with series or did you go with standout sketches? I didn't have anything. Oh um, goodness! Well, right. No, I had um, a bunch. Well, no, that's good. Like, I mean, on the button now, I just immediately went, "Oh, well, there's a couple of sketches I actually really liked this year that I can mention." And I think that the one that I'll just go with because it was the most bizarre, but also the one that just really made me laugh is, do you know about David S. Pumpkins, Kate? I have so many questions <laughs> about David S. Pumpkins and he's on my list and he, he will be popping up again later in our conversation. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just so good. It's so funny mm -hmm. and it's evergreen as far as I'm concerned because yeah. it's still funny now to me. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, no, I had David S. Pumpkins. I also had Black Jeopardy uh, mm -hmm. for the same episode. I have from last week tonight, their 2016 thing they put together, um, and from Inside Amy Schumer, Don Cheadle, funeral director, uh, as played by Liam Neeson, who doesn't bury cowards, um, and then also the Geigles that Amy wears around the office where every time she looks at a guy, it tells her what that guy needs her to be so that he will listen to her and actually work with her, um, which I thought was, I thought those, two, <laughs> the Liam Neeson one is just ridiculous and <laughs> silly and funny. Um, and the Geigles was the kind of incisive and pointed, but still at least to me, very effective uh, sketch that I've come to expect from Inside Amy Schumer and the kind of sketch that I thought was a little, a little lacking, at least in quantity um this season there were there were a lot of sketches that were okay or were interesting but not many that stuck in my mind that one did so that is the one that i went with for that did you have a most quotable series no i couldn't think of anything offhand in part because i think i quote things now through gifts yeah and then it just becomes well what gifts do i immediately turn to when i need a reaction to something and i right now it's like the good place and uh superstore for quite a bit of things, in part because I ended up trading gifts back and forth during episodes with a few folks. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that that's the one I go to right now the most. But uh, what about you? Did you have a particularly quotable series this year? Well, the one that I, and I've, I mentioned this last week, the one that I have found myself quoting the most, and this kind of tied in, this was also my memorable line in delivery, which was a little overplayed by the end of the season, but I thought was also good. Um, it was, again... Drag Race Tati choices because <laughs> like that literally my sister and I say that to each other all the time and so that is the the single line I have quoted the most um, there wasn't a we dug coal together 
for me right. this year. There wasn't, yeah. Uh, unless you're going to say, like, juice, juice from, right. you know, from, but I mean, well, yeah. that's, I didn't, yeah. yeah. So for me, that's what I went with. I kind of put those two together. There was a, a lot of, at least when it was on the air, a lot, my sister and I had a lot of um, Drag Race quoting going back and forth. Um, and, and so many of the shows that I watch on a regular basis and that, nobody I talk to IRL actually also watches um, are very specific. So if I quote them, people think I'm a crazy person. Sure. Or they really need the context or it sounds horrible. Um, and so I don't end up quoting a lot of shows. So that's sort of what yeah. I ended up with. Did you have anything for most memorable line or delivery? I cheated just a little bit with this one. Go for it. We and... endorse cheating here at the Televerse. Right. So... I went with the entire cast of Limitless in Stop Me Before I Hug Again. Oh my god, it was so good. Oh, it was right? terrific, yeah. Because, in, for, for context for listeners who didn't watch Limit, Limitless, and shame on you. Um, it's is on that, Amazon, or no, Netflix. It's on Netflix, go watch it. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Uh, is that Brian's coping with like horrible, horrible like violence right now. So the show starts putting euphemisms in for everything like particularly violent so you can cope with it so stop me before i can kill again becomes stop me before i can hug again and the actors have to keep using these these softer nicer words when they're saying something particularly horrible but they don't break in any way shape or form and i can't even imagine the amount of takes that it was necessary for people to get into a rhythm for doing that because it sounds ridiculous but everyone that has to say those lines nails it throughout the entire episode. So totally a cheat, but I think also totally appropriate because yes. it's an hour's worth of really solid delivery from everyone. No, that's terrific. That's really good. Um, did you have any monologues? In previous years, I found this to be my most challenging category. This year I have three. Oh, I... I basically just went with anything from Halt and Catch Fire. Well, but, um, yeah, no, uh, it's Cameron's boardroom speech in particular uh, stood out to me as, like, something that just kind of hit a lot of buttons. Um, and so that was just the one that stood out in my brain the most was her boardroom speech. Uh, what about you? Um, well, the, the these are all really memorable moments that I'm sure people will not be surprised by. I didn't really think of them as monologues. Until mm -hmm. I started, like, playing around in my brain a little bit. And I think they all count. So I have, um, and Veep, Selena's eulogy for her mother. Okay. Uh, on American Crime Story, Marsha in the Bar. Okay. Good. And on Blackish, Dre's, Dre's monologue in Hope about, mm -hmm. about the Obama motorcade. Um, and good. those are all ones that <laughs> made me laugh a bunch or made me stop breathing because it was super dramatic for a moment and really gut punchy. Um, and, and, and I thought, they were all delivered so incredibly well, handled well with the editing and the direction, um, and really enhanced their ep episodes were like the spotlight of those episodes. So those are the ones um, that, I, that I came together, uh, that came together for me. Um, now, single episodes, I have a lot. I have too many. I'm going to cut it down while you're talking. But I also okay. have some worsts. Do you have any worsts? No, like, I I tried to be as positive as possible with okay. the list this year. Okay, um, fair Though enough. I do have some, like, worsts coming up. Yeah. Um, depending on like where our categories are going, even though I have worsts for the next category itself. Okay. Um, <laughs> how could you not? <laughs> how could I not? Um, but for writing for a single episode, 
again, like, I went with Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's too good, really. It's kind of disgustingly good. Mm-hmm. And just everything that it does with the episode concerning um, chauvinism, feminism, and how all of that plays into our society, and but also just that it gives Sarah Paulson a huge, huge moments that she has to, like, stick, and she does. And I, I really... It was just a really terrific hour of television, and I really, really liked it. Um, if I can, like, a few other ones I could toss out, this, like, Mr. Greg from Steven Universe is by probably a terrifically written episode of anything, but it's got a couple of musical numbers and some really solid, as we've discussed before, costuming choices that have to be made on a written and storyboard level. That's not something that you go to a costumer and say, we need to do this. This is something that they have to storyboard and figure out what it's going to look like in advance. And I think that that is also something that when we're talking about animation, we sometimes skip over the storyboarding process, which for a lot of shows is the writing process. So I'll, I'll go with Marsha, 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 and Mr. Greg for uh, writing for a single episode. What about you? And did I give you enough time? Did I feel the enough for you to cut your list down? I can keep talking. No. Okay. No, that's okay. I'm just going to say them all. Okay. Because I have to edit it, so it's my fault. <laughs> um, so I'm not putting any more work on anybody else. Um, I kind of cheated with this category and thought of it not just as the writing, but as if, if there was a particular episode from a show that stood above the other ones or that really, really stuck in my mind, like that episode as a whole, rather than as part of the season. So Blackish Hope, um, mm-hmm. Funeral from the Carmichael Show, Skate uh, from Veep, uh, that one's sticking in my brain. It's staying in there for a while. Uh, the Columbine episode of American Crime. Um, the This is not anywhere near these other episodes, but for this show, it was a real step up, and that's the Arrow 100th episode. Yeah. Um, and then Blade of Grass from Penny Dreadful was amazing, and no one is talking about it at the end of the year, and I don't understand that because I am <laughs> far from the biggest Penny Dreadful fan we know. We know a lot of people who love the show way more than I do, and I feel like nobody has mentioned this amazing Tour de Force episode. Um, so Blade of Grass. And then uh, in a less than spectacular season... Uh, Mulder meets uh, the 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 wearer, the wear monster. The wear monster was just delightful and wonderful. And Darren Morgan, we've missed you. Um, so I had to mention that episode of, of course, the X Files. But worst episodes. Remember the Carmichael show episode about the new Muslim neighbors? That was yeah. unfortunate. Um, and also Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt slash Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. Don't 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 take on race. <laughs> don't don't then criticize when you do a bad job. Don't spend an episode criticizing people who don't like your problematic to be kind, insensitive and mm, insensitive and borderline racist uh, depictions uh, to be harsher. Don't 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 then spend an episode yelling at criticizing and diminishing the opinions of those who criticize you uh, for that. Uh, so really wish most of that episode didn't exist keep the fabulous song in the middle the performance was lovely um everything else Mm. okay let's move swiftly on to happier things um which shows or shows came to mind for you for best crafting of the season so that structure best putting it all together right uh so i had two shows for this uh the first one was halt and catch fire which i think 
just built really steadily and really well to its ultimate conclusion. And the fact that it's getting another season to wrap things up, I think, is also really important to the success of how well this how this season. If they were getting another season, I maybe would be more hesitant because of how it ends. But the fact that they built to where the original trio is back together from season one and Donna is on the outs and presumably the antagonist going into season five or season four is just the build up to the ad was just so great. And I couldn't get and like we've talked about all summers, I couldn't get enough of that. Um, my second choice was iZombie, which I think did a really nice job of moving its characters around in ways that felt really compelling and then it also really quickly jettisoned Liv's family from the narrative which was really really important to the show's success in season two because we no longer had to worry about it uh because it was a little bit of a drag on season one because it didn't make any sense why they were there and they were quickly jettisoned but then there's plenty of stuff with Kira there's plenty of stuff with Blaine that's really really good there's plenty of stuff with Major as the mer as the zombie hunter, reluctant zombie hunter, and then the build up to the private contractors and everything to lead into their next season, I thought was just really, really well executed. So Halt and Catch Fire, iZombie, really well crafted seasons this year. Uh, what about you? What were your best crafted seasons? Well, I had uh, Halt and Catch Fire as well. Um, yeah. And we talked about it last week, but American Crime Story also was structured in a really uh, effective yeah. way. But I also want to give some love to The Good Place, um, mm -hmm. Which which kept z zagging when we might have expected a zig in a really uh, smart way in its yeah. first what ten episodes so far, yeah. um, and I also nine, wanted, ten, nine yeah. yeah I want to give some love to Venture Brothers as well which I thought built really nicely um, yeah. to its finale and uh, <laughs> just basically turning the monarch into a good guy but because he's determined. To, to kill Dr. Venture, and the only way he can do that is if he kills all these other bad guys first so that he can be the... Yeah, I thought that worked really well. And, and like, they, they did this whole arc with the struggling marriage marriage of the monarch and Dr. and Mrs. Girlfriend, um, or, sorry, Dr. and Mrs. Wife, right? Or what is it again? I don't... I don't it's remember. It's been too long, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but that, that struggling, you know, and, and then showing that <laughs> reflected in different villains and their spouses as well. Uh, was terrific and so much fun. Um, and again, having that bit of a through line, uh, which they haven't always done in as distinct a way, uh, it was really effective. So uh, some love for the Venture Brothers here at the end of our writing conversation. Uh, we need to take a break. I need some, some more. Do we want to not do worst crafting of seasons? Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Because <laughs> we would have heard about that. Yeah. from some of our listeners, uh, because we have to take this opportunity to slather some um, uh, not praise, to be kind, yeah. uh, on two shows. Yeah. Um, the same two shows, right, for both yeah. of us? Yeah. Uh, which Probably. would you like to talk about? Um, I'll, take, I'll take The Good Wife and you can, you can do The Hundred. Okay. <laughs> um, though I think we can both end up teaming up on The Hundred and just, like, really just beat up on it. But... The Good Wife, um, I mean, we talked about this off and on uh, throughout the podcast when we deigned to discuss The Good Wife uh, that week, was the decision to keep Alicia separated just didn't do anyone any favors. There were really weird choices made in regards to whatever the hell they decided to do with Carrie and the firm, and then it was another firm takeover thing, and it didn't go anywhere. Interesting at all. And... 
emotionally, from an emotional arc standpoint, the even though this was calendar year last year, uh, the election storyline with Peter just doesn't do anything. It doesn't offer anything. And then further stuff with um, Alicia's getting over again will with the voicemail and all this stuff and the expectation that we're supposed to believe that Eli felt guilty about this for f five years and didn't say anything and it just it didn't work it's a complete mess from a show that had garnered a significant reputation for being really well structured really well put together and for building to these very big things like I mean even putting aside the build up to hitting the fan is that even individual seasons were built really well and hitting the fan was just the culmination of five seasons but individual seasons were all built really well and to a purpose and this season always felt reverse engineered because they wanted to end in the way that they ended and that's never the good way to go about something is that if you have an ending in mind figure out a way to get there organically but don't try to force a situation in which Diane has to slap Alicia just so you have plot symmetry yeah and in the meanwhile betraying who Alicia is and has always been with as opposed to revealing new aspects to her, but right. just, but not taking the t effort to do that instead of just betraying who the characters. Um, also who Diane is also who Kurt is like, yeah. so like, it's just mind boggling to me that, that the same people are were in charge and wrote and created the end of the good wife as did the terrific first like five seasons of it, even five and a half. Uh, because it's such a decline in in the the. I mean, maybe they just they must have just been exhausted. As only right. I well, can think of, they had brain dead, and it showed. Like the kings just weren't as involved. They wrote like two to three episodes last season, uh, the final season, I should say, and that's really low for them. They normally write like five to six, so they were just really busy. But yeah, it just it wasn't a well put together season. But mentioning like character motivations going off the rails leads us really nicely to the hundred so why don't you yeah. take it away <laughs> so the hundred started out i think really promisingly in its most recent season here and it was playing with a lot of neat ideas and they had somewhere where they were going that was i think really terrific and really uh promising for the show they just decided the way they would get there was by killing off <laughs> killing off all of their most interest not all most of their most interesting characters and having people be idiots for no reason other than to get them to a place where they could be killed off um so they killed off a lot of, and, and i'm a joss whedon fan i am i'm all like i love spartacus i am down for some characters i love dying pain i can take that <laughs> If it's, I, as long as it's well done, as long as it feels like there's a reason and uh, it, and it makes sense, or the point is that it doesn't make sense, but that's what we're exploring, like that's fine. I I, I am not upset with the hundred because they killed characters. I'm upset with the hundred for how and why they killed characters, let alone how they handled everything outside of the show surrounding that. We'll get there. Never you fear. There's a whole other category for that, but. They, they built in and they added all of this grounder mythology so that they could kill off Lexa horribly, stupidly, and really problematically. 
again, to be kind, just to not open that can of worms. Um, yeah. And then, yet, <laughs> yet. And then they just left that and focused on this other part of the show. They, they abandoned several of their characters in just a sort of stasis throughout the season. Um, because they knew they wanted to do something at the end of the season, but they didn't have anything else for them to do in the middle, so they just kind of had them wandering around. Um, I did keep watching the rest, I think the rest, the whole rest of the season. We just didn't talk about it on the show because there wasn't anything new to say. But when you take, like, they, they killed off Lexa, then they killed off Lincoln, like, the week after. Then they killed off Sinclair. Uh, who else did they kill? I feel like they killed off all of the the queer or brown people Except for Clark. Because they also killed Clark's new girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's... that's You shouldn't do that. That's problematic. They didn't kill Raven. No. So, there, you know, there's at least that. But they put um, Raven through a lot of pain. Yeah, they just <laughs> tortured her a lot. Um, so, you can do that to your characters. Again, if it feels like there's a reason. If it feels like... You, we are, you're not just doing this to torture characters to get because people are uh, people are connected to them and this will be a str you'll get a strong reaction from people. They, they, there was never a sense from for me that the hundred was actually doing anything new or groundbreaking or anything that that warranted what they were putting their fans through. Um, however, they were very, they were very convinced um, in, at least it seemed like the creator um, and some of the writers were very convinced of how amazing and first of its kind and groundbreaking their storytelling was. And were like, everybody's watching this and upset about it. It's like, we've seen these storylines done on many other shows and done better. Like Pike, Pike. You kidding me? The writing for that all of a sudden overnight, he's like the he's he's the new president and we haven't learned anything about his backstory, but but at the end of the season we're supposed to be upset when he gets killed because he's one of the good guys now because we said so. The way that they absolutely character assassinated Bellamy and are trying to like think that by the end of the season we're supposed to be okay with him again and now he's gonna have to earn his redemption. I mean, again, it's just like the with the good wife. It's character assassination so that you can get a character, or so you can motivate the plot in a certain way, and you can get a character to where you want them to be in the finale. And that's lazy. And somebody should have said something in the writer's room, and I'm sure probably somebody did. But it doesn't matter if the showrunner doesn't listen, because they're the boss. So as far as I'm concerned, all this goes to Jason Rothenberg. No, you're absolutely correct. Like, it's just character assassination, um, particularly Bellamy. Like, that character just went from one of the best things about the show in season two and then just became, for really unclear No, reasons, for no reason. Right. Anti-grounder and aggressively militaristic in ways that just didn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. Pike is a rehash of Grounder Prejudice that didn't go anywhere. Like, you can do Grounder Prejudice storyline again, but you need to find some new variation on that theme. There's no new variation on the theme. So say nothing of him becoming president very, very quickly uh, without really building uh, New Arcadia or whatever the place was called in ways that it would make sense for that to be the case. And the big thing for me was just they had a lot of elements I really liked, um, which we discussed 
um, a little bit. So I really liked the whole AI storyline. I liked the weird sort of zombie-ish nature of the AI storyline, but it never coalesced into anything particularly meaningful. And I struggled with where it fit thematically with a lot of the other stuff that was happening in the show. And the result was that it didn't fit very well. It felt very, the show ended up feeling very segregated in very weird ways beyond, well, we don't have anything for them to do right now, so they're just going to wander around, is that there just wasn't, it, we had really good ideas for the start and really good ideas for the end, and just went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it came to filling out the middle portion. So it was just poorly structured, and I think even, I think the worst offense is really just the fact, at least from like a structural level, is that they had good elements and then just went, no. Like, you can make a bad season across the board, and I maybe would not nail something as hard for just a bad season across the board. But when you have good things in play and then you don't do anything with them, that's worthy of being like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's like the, the, the Pike election. Battle started it better. Mm -hmm. The uh, the <laughs> Lex's death. Buffy did it better. You could argue whether they should have done it at all, but right. that then fueled the entire rest of the season yeah. very, very directly. Not just like a oh now there's a power vacuum. What will happen? But character motivation in a huge, huge, huge way. There have been other shows where you've seen a a very intense betrayal of this type of Bellamy, but it's made sense from a character, from like, they've spent the time to have that choice make sense. And then they've dealt with the fallout and in a way that this season was not interested in doing. So yeah, they had some good pieces, but to have, to not recognize your strengths, to not re recognize your weaknesses and to say, well, we need to write this character off because we, we lose the actor. Okay then that needs to be your priority. And you, you, you don't get to then spend all this time with the Grounders. And also, we want to have this huge shakeup in the Grounders, in the, uh, in, in the Arcadia, New Arcadia. Well, you don't have time to do both. So you, don't, you, can't, you have to understand that you can't, if you only have four episodes, six episodes to build to this big thing that has to happen because of actor availability, you don't get to try to then do three or four different things and then be surprised when it doesn't really work out. Um, I don't know. I just, I think they should have known better. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly, we're going to talk more about the hunter later on. So I should like, I should dial it back because there's going to be <laughs> right. more opportunity. Save the rage. Save have the rage. Have glass of champagne. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, so I'm going to cool down a little bit. We're going to, I'm going to have like, like Noel suggests, I'm going to refill the glass a little bit here and then we'll listen to a little bit more music before we come back much more. We'll get a little more positive right after the break. It's over, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it over? It's over, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it over? You won, and she chose you, and she loved you, and she's gone. It's over, isn't it? Why can't I move on? War and glory, reinvention, fusion, freedom, her attention out in daylight my potential bold precise experimental who am i now in this world without her petty and dull with the nerve to doubt her what does it matter it's already done now i've got to be there for her son it's over 
yes And I'll confess The thought of staying is so enticing And when you speak My knees get weak I can't believe What I'm sacrificing But let's get real We know the deal So darling Let's not tiptoe This thing we had Was not just bad It was a shit show Take a moment, remind yourself to Take a moment and find yourself Take a moment and ask yourself If this is how we fell apart But it's not, but it's not, but it's not, but it's not, but it's not It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay I've got nothing, got nothing, got nothing, got nothing to fear I'm here, I'm here, I'm here And it was just a thought, just a thought, just a thought, just a thought, just a thought That was more of the delightful music from this year in TV. And a bunch of that is going to, the songs you've been hearing so far, this episode and the ones you are yet to hear this episode will be coming up in this category because that's right. It's time to talk about the best music of 2016, uh, at least on TV. Um, I feel like there should be a whole separate category for Lemonade, which we haven't (laughs) mentioned. Ah, No, but I still haven't watched it because I'm, that far behind the times. It's so good. It's so good. It was like, it, not only was is it terrific music and a beautiful, beautiful hour-long video essay, or whatever, I forget what the appropriate term is, the preferred term is, but short film or whatever, but it also was such an amazing communal experience to watch, like, on Twitter. Well, because I came in, like, halfway through the HBO airing. I was like, why is everybody losing their minds about... And then I started watching. I was like, oh, that's why. Because this is awesome. And then I immediately watched it again because HBO, and thank you, HBO, and thank you, Beyonce, for putting it on HBO and not just title. Um, But yeah, we don't have a category for Lemonade because something but it was a lovely music thing that happened this year but it is not fit into our first category our first category is best new theme song or opening credits now did you go for did you focus on the theme song or the credits or really you know hope for like a combination of the two it sort of depended um like for worst opening credits not even like i didn't even focus on the music was the crown Mm -hmm. uh because they just copied the daredevil opening sequence in terms of oil or wax dripping to form something. That's not what and you want. It's, no, and it's just like, you're both Netflix shows, you guys didn't talk to one another about this? Or did you just go, we don't have an opening credit sequence for The Crown, <gasps> let's just copy Daredevil. That looks really cool. And But instead of like the Daredevil horns, it's a crown? Because we're yeah. really on the nose? Were they just like assuming um, that there was not a lot of crossover in the viewership? Right. I mean, I mean, maybe it's fair to think maybe, mm-hmm. but yeah. So it's a very bad opening credit sequence in part because I'm I got very tired of the Daredevil sequence really really quickly, but also because it's just a blatant copy of the Daredevil sequence. <laughs> 
Um, but for best, like, I had two. For just instrumental, it's like Stranger Things, hands down. It's just the title card, and it's a very pretty title card, and some 80s synth. And uh, so it's really good. But the Luke Cage as a whole experience, I think, is like the best new theme song that we an opening that we got in part just because it really sets you up for the show and that's what I want a opening credit sequence to do and Luke Cage uh, just from a visual aspect really just I mean it puts Harlem on his body and that's just really it's a really terrific way to settle us in and to tell us his connection to Harlem or what his connection to Harlem will be uh, through as he comes to the end of the first season, but that they're both they both need one another to survive and to function, and that one doesn't fully exist without the other, and that all the memories of Harlem and all the struggles of Harlem are becoming epitomized within Luke Cage's just body. And for a superhero show where bodies are very much central to the entire narrative, that's a really big thing to say. And I feel like it's a really good way to get us into the show, to make us think about it. And it's, it's, it fits the show in a way that, like, I think the Daredevil sequence is bad, um, since it doesn't really connect to the show in any real way for me anyway. But, like, the Jessica Jones sequence is very jazzy and pastel which calls back to both its film noir roots, but also the comic book covers whereas this is very much its own particular thing that speaks very specific, specifically to the show and i really really like that about the luke cage opening sequence so that's why it's the best of the new sequences this year well me. and also of course just the focus on his skin yes since that is his superpower and just yeah the bodies yes but also specifically the skin that's yeah that's a great mm -hmm. call of course i didn't have that one it's a great choice that I didn't also make. Um, instead, I went with a, a handful here. I have, or I should say just a few, but I, I really like the opening sequence to Underground. I thought the energy that it, it gives and also the visual, like the, the animation for that, I thought really worked well together to, to this combination of history with energy with, with a mo more modern perspective, I think comes through really strongly in that credits. And that's something we will touch up touch upon later in the later category um but i also wanted to mention lady dynamite which is just silly and ridiculous and fun um and also the path which has really um it, it's kind of fallen through the cracks at this you know in the, at the end of the year here but i i can't really fault anyone for that because there's been a lot of really interesting tv and i don't know that it separated itself um, enough to be in all the the year-end lists and everything but i did really appreciate the a lot about the show, but but also the the opening. I thought about when I was thinking about this category, what are opening credits that I didn't want to skip through, or I didn't actively skip through when I had the choice, and the the animation for the path and just the the way that it set the tone for the show was really effective and um, something I kept wanting to see each week to really um, to ex try to figure out whose face is melding into who, into whose and. And, and really, I thought, I thought that that really, again, set the tone really nicely for the show and was something that I was constantly curious about as I watched it every week, which I think is important. If, you, if you're going to expect at this point in time, if you're going to expect your audience to actually watch your credits every week and not just do a title card like so many shows do, I think you should make sure that you have funny or interesting or 
beautiful to look at in some way opening credits and i think all all of our shows did that so good picks go team um (laughs) we also have catchiest new theme song um i for this i thought of what is the song the theme song this year that i was the most likely to just kind of hum to myself as i walked around and that was like obviously there's only one choice it was crazy ex-girlfriend bam (laughs) did you do that too yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So, so, what is this now? Our is this our third category that we've agreed on? I think so. Yeah. Something like that. Second, third. Yeah. But it was just so fun. Yeah. And they give the extra context of the the, the end of episode tag. Like, oh no, we're in my imagination. You can just cease to exist. Yeah. Very fun. <laughs> Very Anyone fun. else have any questions? <laughs> it's also one of those things where it plays off of the old theme song in terms of like, well, the whole situation's a lot more nuanced than that. And it's just like, no, you can't call her crazy anymore because she's in love. And it's just like, well, can't we though? <laughs> and so it, it continues the show's uh, winking self-awareness that I really, really like. And the slightly too long of a pause after the bam with the big grin is just... <laughs> so deliciously awkward (laughs) it's so good and she doesn't blink and it's so good (laughs) she got the crazy eyes going like the big eyes lots of whites around the eyes there yeah absolutely um what came to mind for you for score were you was there overlap here or was it was it different shows uh no it's just one show and it's (sighs) 80s synth is always going to win kate okay i respect Um, that yeah Right, no, so uh, Stranger Things score was just, it was really good, and it completed the rest of its 80s nostalgia that it was just immersed into, and without, honestly, without the 80s synth, I legitimately feel like a lot of it would have been kind of hollow without it, Mm -hmm. because without that 80s synth, it's not an 80s homage to horror films and supernatural type stuff that they're drawing on. You need it, basically, I think, to complete the aesthetic experience. So that was, like, by far and away my favorite score this year. I just, I really, really loved it. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What was what were some of the scores that stood out to you? Um, well, yeah, definitely Stranger Things. Like you said, it just so perfectly set the tone for everything. And it, it bit, like, it's so effective and ratcheting up the tension it's just like you just feel the rumble kind of come up oh it's terrific um i also had outlander because uh i thought that uh, uh bear mccreary did such a wonderful job of combining the sound of the previous season when it was appropriate when they were in scotland um with a completely different sound for this new world that they find themselves in at the beginning of the season um when they're in france and you got the baroque sound and the the cello really takes center stage as compared to the the very they had a very different sound last season um not only was it uh, elegant and had this beautiful always this beautiful tone and texture and timbre which uh, is something that I expect when I hear uh, solo cello in something, but um, but something they found a warmth and a heart to it that I think maybe uh, a show less interested in the aesthetics of its production would have cared about or paid for, you know, <laughs> paid for the cellist as opposed to trying to use a computer. Um, but the, it they constantly were using the score to tell character, which is something that I just keep coming back to in in composition. I always want 
not just music because it's pretty or because it fits the time period, but because it is telling a story and is con contributing to the overall whole of the series. And they really did that with Outlander this season. Also, I want to give some love to Will Bates for The Path, which was an interesting enough score that I could analyze it every week in my reviews for the AV Club for like at least 300 words. Like I had to cut down, like it would have like 800 words and I'd be like, I got to cut out 500 of these. How am I going to do that? There's so much to say. Um, and that's an indulgence that the AV club allowed me cause they're nice and paid me for, I guess. Um, <laughs> some of the readers really didn't like it. They let me know about that. Um, but others did. Boo. <clears throat> um, but, um, I really appreciate a show that, or a composer, I guess, a show that pays enough to a composer so that the p composer can care enough about it to have the choices really like there were themes I could connect. I could connect it. This was the doubt theme, which was the shifting and sliding perfect fifths uh, over the open interval with it's unresolved and builds it is very clear sounding. Um, it calls back to um, actually an older sound, but uh, like a medieval time period sound, but also has, is full of doubt because there's no third to tell you if it's major or minor to get a little bit of a little wonky there. Um, but then counterpointing that with like this really tonal and then atonal sounds, depending on what each scene called for and what each character was doing. It threaded the, the score threaded those themes throughout the entire season. Um, they would go away for like several episodes. And because I'm me, I would notice and be like, how come we haven't heard of this person's theme in a while? And then it would pop up and I'd be like, aha, that is why. Um, so I appreciate that level of craft and care and consideration to music composition, which again, is not always something that is, well, I should say is usually not present in a lot of TV show scores, but just because they're not paying the composers enough that they can focus solely on that project. Um, and, and, and really give that attention or because the producers just aren't interested in that level of craft. So that was present on the path. Um, something I wanted to specifically mention. Also, I loved the score for underground. It really fueled the energy of the show. And it was this combination very similar to the credits of a, a respect and reverence for the historical elements of the show with the energy and urgency of the modern audience and making sure that the audience always knew Yes, we're telling a historical, like, period piece drama, but don't think this doesn't have very, very strong ties to where we are now and what we're experiencing now. Um, so, so the immediacy, the urgency, the energy of that was crucial in so many of the shows, especially their, their, their action set pieces, their suspense set pieces, um, and then the use of, of for example, the um, the Copeland and these other folk songs, American folk songs in the 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 ch episode from the children's perspective um, was particularly powerful. But that kind of thoughtful approach to the music they were using the the that's more of a soundtrack thing. But the the especially period appropriate pieces that they would draw from and be inspired by in the scoring um, was something that just continually was adding depth and meaning and at least for me as a musician extra relevance to a already terrific series um so those are the ones that came to mind for me um but for soundtrack i only really had one come to mind now i i always think of soundtrack as pre-existing songs versus score as like newly composed so i like it was like obviously it had to be luke cage no uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to make the case for the cage and then you can make the case for your show. Sure. 
and okay. a little bit. So Luke Cage was terrific music. Also, yes. such excellent use of the live performance venue of the club, um, and to, to really let us, especially as viewers who, as as a white girl, <laughs> to be all super awkward about it. But as someone who was less familiar with some of these groups than I should have been, um, to really connect a sound that I have heard, musicians and performers, and, and music that I have heard before with the performers, I love shows that have an organic way to do that. And this is one that really took advantage of that. And also they used their soundtrack to really feel the action set pieces and these other elements of the show. Um, it, the, the combination, like the, the, the marrying of the, the music, uh, especially the pre-existing songs with the action, with the character was, was very considered the editing along with that as well, I would say. Um, so that's why I, I'm, I'm a little like surprised who did, what did, if you didn't go with Luke Cage, what would what did you go with? I went with crazy ex-girlfriend. Um, Okay, fair enough. I feel very stupid right now. Okay, yes, that's a, <laughs> no. You don't need that's to feel stupid. Pick. We, just, we just have different like de- definitions of like soundtrack. I yeah, guess. that's also that. a soundtrack. As someone who listens to the Hamilton soundtrack on repeat all the time, yes, obviously that it would be eligible. I f- I'm going to just sit over here and feel foolish for a while. You go ahead. No, and talk. you don't need to feel foolish. No, because I mean I understand where you're coming from with soundtrack and everything. It's just like. I mean, if you want, like, a collection of pre-existing songs repurposed, then it's just, like, we can talk about the People vs. O.J. Simpson some, right, and it's good. 90s awesome, awesome playlist. It's not Luke but... Cage, but it's good, yeah. But, <laughs> but no, obviously, like, uh, like, I want to buy it So as a soundtrack as, on a CD. So, obviously, it's a soundtrack for Crazy Six Girlfriend. I feel very foolish. Um, what... It's very. It should be very obvious to our listeners if they listen to last week's episode. But, but why did you go with Crazy Ex Girlfriend? Well, just because it's a song. It's a soundtrack that fills out their world. It fills out their characters, and it makes sure that everyone is serviced within the soundtrack, which I think is really important. And it does as much tell us about character and situation as deploying or using a pre-existing song or rearranging, remixing a pre-existing song or cutting to it does. And I feel like that that's what you really want from a soundtrack. And I mean, a lot of what you just discussed with Luke Cage and what we've talked about with the scoring does that again with the soundtrack of the song choices. We get into characters' heads, we get into their perspectives, and I, I don't know that there's a better soundtrack to explore and comment on than Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I think that the other reason why it stands out to me so aggressively is the fact that they use their past songs as motifs as and callbacks and reprises to comment on the action, to recontextualize action. So I definitely have friends keeps resurfacing quite a bit. Wes Covina was such a big part of season one that it just kept, they kept finding really new layers to add to situations. So like Daryl's desire to be considered the best friend, even though he's not the best friend, uh, causes a, I definitely have friends reprise in, but instrumentally, but because the songs are so catchy that, and because they stick in our heads, even episodes like from last season, where we immediately go, that's, that's I definitely have friends, and you go, 
Oh, oh, and it's 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 such a good use of their back of their back catalog. If you want to get into thinking about it like that, that I, I it's it's just such, such a good soundtrack, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely, and especially that element, like you said, of the re, the reprises that that throw. Uh, throw you back to the previous episodes that just keep popping up in the score. Um, the Triceratops ballet, of course, used uh, I'm the Villain, My Own Story very prominently um, in the Rebecca parts of that. And uh, yeah, and so you'll just get as she's doing something self destructive, and um, it just it's terrific. And as the show goes on, it just keeps getting denser and richer and more uh, more powerful and more effective as, as we keep learning more about these different characters and layering new understanding and new depth to them as they grow and as they change and as they make choices and move towards or away from um the the healthy futures we hope for them i guess um yeah it's it's a terrific terrific choice um yeah i feel kind of silly now um no, but that's okay the it's, it's also good, a good choice it's good to have diversity within what we're talking about yes well speaking of I've got too many choices for original song because I, I, I didn't make myself just whittle them down. How many did you end up with? Because I, I ended up with five. I ended up with one. Do you, you want to guess? You have more self-control than I do. Okay. Um, guess. Uh, I should be able to do that. Well, I know it was not the the fun one I added on so that it wouldn't only be Crazy Ex-Girlfriend in the Saving Universe. Um, I, I feel pretty confident that it wasn't Bad Things Happen in the Bathroom from Bob's Burgers, no. their 100th no, episode, which was delightful and one of their best songs, uh, their best song in quite a while. Um, hmm. I also think it wasn't Getting By from Crazy yeah. Ex-Girlfriend, which is not one of the best songs of the year but, but it's super fun and so and yeah important in a year of barrier gaze and yeah you know, we no, got a song call. about a bisexual anthem well and um, and a, a, a bi man too right like of all the yeah. different like it's, it's the way we could make him even less representative if he wasn't white but but yeah. but yeah, it's a it's a terrific song well, and yeah. He is now played by a broom, and that's really progressive casting. That's so progressive for him to be played by a broom. <laughs> um, um, okay, uh, I also have just for the funsies. Uh, it was a shit show, which is I is not, but it was so fun. Um, of course, yeah. these crazy girlfriends. This one uh, was written by Rachel Bloom, Adam Schlesinger, and also um, uh, Jack Dolgan. Um, I, I couldn't find who wrote Bad Things Happen in the Bathroom. I, I looked on, I Googled it, but it didn't, didn't quite come up. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to know what the research results were for Bad Things Happen. Yeah, you add Bob's, Bob's Burgers on there, that really, oh, okay. that really helps. <laughs> I'll be honest, it really helps. Um, um, okay. Um, uh, okay, the ones that I have, it's one of these three. Okay. Uh, here comes right. a thought which was written by Rebecca Sugar with, of course, uh, and then ad- adapted and, and orchestrated and everything by Ivy and Sarashu. I also have You Stupid Bitch from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, Rachel Bloom and Alex Lustinger on that one. But um, I'm going to say that it's it's over, isn't it? Written it in- is! Ding, Yay! Ding, ding. Rebecca Sugar yeah. and then again orchestrated and, and, and rearranged by Ivy and Sarashu. Um Okay. Well, so, why don't you talk about like uh, it's just a thought and you stupid bitch a little bit, and then we can both geek out over it's over, isn't it? Okay. Um, <laughs> here comes a thought. Well, first of all, I should mention that of course I got to hear this at Comic Con the first time it was performed 
by Rebecca Sugar playing it on on the uke, and it's such a different feel. So that that adds even more depth to me for for me for this song. But um, yeah, Rebecca Sugar doesn't have the the best voice ever, but she she's a good voice. She's very in tune and everything, and and she's good color and everything to her voice. But it's, she doesn't have the power that the other singers on the show do, you know have, which is why her version of something like "It's Over" isn't it? It is very different than Dee Dee Magna Hall's uh, version of it. Um, but here comes the thought I think is such a, a beautiful and important message for people. It's, it's a lovely song. It's you, you listen to it. Um, and just the, the repetition of it is so powerful. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Not just once, but just over. And, Cause that's, that's what you need to hear when you're not sure. Somebody telling you it's, it's okay. Once is not reassuring them telling you that five times in a row is reassuring and and the, the structure of it the writing of it is is really effective just on a like intellectual level but it's also something that i think um it speaks to mental health it speaks to awareness of yourself and self-care in a way that i think is really important um all the time but particularly for a lot of people i know at least you know in the past couple of months and over the past year uh, i think we talked about this last year with steven universe but to, to think that Steven Universe is just a song, a show that kids could learn from, or this is just a song that kids could learn from, is, I think, underselling kids and overselling adults. <laughs> <laughs> and also underselling the song. Um, but it's really, it's really powerful. It's really emotional. And um, I can't imagine having to actually sing it without your voice getting all choked up. Because it's just... Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. Um, as for you, stupid bitch, um, I love how we just kind of throw that title off. It's not a big deal. Um, it's 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 an anthem of of self hate and loathing, and delivered so wonderfully by by Rachel Bloom. Um, the the power that she gives. The, the the vocals in it she I means she doesn't she has trouble hitting the last note um like in a powerful way she goes it's, it's a little high so like she she hits it it sounds great but there's strain in there that you're really hearing or like a thinness to the sound that doesn't come up uh earlier and that actually for me really works for the character there's just this 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 really powerful like a, a certainty to the sound throughout the song that speaks to her certainty that she is horrible and worthless and, and she's not deserving of anyone's appreciation, love or respect, certainly not her own. Um, and that it, it just, it like hits you in the face. If you listen to the words, if you don't listen to the words, it's just like a, a pretty song. But when you listen to the words, uh, the, 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 the choice of this style for this song, I think is really smart and just it stops you if if you actually it'd be like if, if you were listening to someone talking like a friend or an acquaintance or something talking and they would just casually said some of the stuff about themselves that she, obviously rebecca is feeling all the time you'd be like whoa whoa hold up what's going on why haven't i what's why would how could you think this is about yourself you're wonderful or i you know like we wouldn't be spending time with you and as viewers that's how we feel about rebecca so when she lets us into the extent, as a character, the show lets us in, 
that we're hearing her so matter-of-factly speak this way about herself in a practice way. Talk about your voice getting choked up. She talks about in the show, in the episode, even though I'm here singing the song a lot. She's so used to calling herself worthless that it doesn't even, it's not even a moment of pause for her. It's not like a slow, like the Eye of Friends reprise, where she's really, it's, it's, it's a lot slower, a lot less energetic, and, and she's like really sad. It's not that at all. She's very confident in her hatred of herself. And I think it just gives such power and such strength um, to, like, it, it underlines her problems and what she needs to work on. And it also underlines for viewers at home, when do you think this is about yourself and you don't even realize it? When do you, what, what are your, how many of your friends are thinking stuff like this and you wouldn't even, it wouldn't occur to you in a million years? But this is the completely, like, unquestioning conversation they are having with themselves, not infrequently. I think that it's really powerful. It's a beautiful song. It's well-written. It's funny <laughs> and ridiculous. Um, but it's not your number one. Your number one is It's Over, Isn't It? And I can't argue with it because it's a gorgeous, beautiful, emotional <sighs> of a song. And it's your turn. So you talk. Right. <laughs> so, no, this was my uh, number one with a bullet, as they say, in the top 40. And the the reason is, is like you said, it's deeply emotional, and I I I love Pearl. Pearl's my favorite. So any song with her kind of in the center of it is immediately my new favorite. Um, but the song's just so well executed, and um, one of the things I just really love about it is that. It's a song that expresses her uncertainty, her frustrations with everything that's come before and come after. But then you get the staging of it is really great too. And you have her fencing with a rose, rose quartz, and it's deeply meaningful. And there's a terrific play of watching her fight with, with a rose and with rose. In, through the song, basically, in that a lot of this song is addressed as much to her as it is to Rose in a lot of ways. And there's even like rose bushes on the hotel balcony that she's surrounded by. It's where she gets the rose from. And so she can't get away from Rose in the staging of everything. But the other reason why that, and I've mentioned this uh, a little bit when we were talking about writing and storyboarding and animation, is that this, when you're doing songs for animation, you don't always get the animation first, or you may not get the performance first, and you need the two to gel together in a way that makes, that speaks, that each one speaks to the other and complements, and there's such a speed to the performance that matches her quick movements when she's fencing, but then there's also just the slower aspects of it when she's like coming to a realization type of thing that I mean the fact that everything syncs up basically is just deeply deeply impressive and yeah I just I it's the song even more so than it's just a thought that I just kept like listening to on loop basically mm -hmm. um even though for self-help reasons I should have listened to it's just a thought but no I decided to go with the song about a 
about an alien life form mourning her lost lover. <laughs> <laughs> why would we want, like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, when we can have, why can't I move on? <laughs> right, yeah, why, why would you want that? But, uh, again, it's in no small part because I love Pearl, and it, like I talked about a little bit last week, is that it also helped to bring certain things from Pearl into focus. Uh, particularly, like, again, I keep returning to it, this idea that of her needing to care for Stephen slash Rose, her son, and just all of that stuff, and how I never really thought about it until there's just one line in the song that goes, oh, right, that would be really difficult now, wouldn't it? And a lot of this season has also played with that idea, but this, it, but it started doing it after this song. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just really appreciate what this song set up, but also what it did. And yeah, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's very, very good. We love it. Um, what about musical moments? Was this, a, like, in previous years, this has been a really challenging one for me. What, what came to mind for you? Only one thing came for mind for me, and this is the end of the iZombie action set piece where... Liv is walking to the main area and she hears Unwell being played on the guitar and we find zombies <laughs> eating Rob Thomas's brain. Nice. And it's it's just, it's so funny for like meta reasons because Rob Thomas the writer created iZombie but now we have Matchbox 20's iZombie dead in this story universe, his brain devoured and but the other thing with it is, is like the use of the song "Unwell" is very, very appropriate in terms of what it does and where Liv is, and the choices that she has to make, and everything else surrounding her as a result of the fact that there's a zombie apocalypse coming into Seattle, led by zombie private military contractors. <laughs> not that's, a good thing. That's not what you want. No, that's no, it's, it's in well. fact quite unwell. Yeah. <laughs> It will end unwell, in fact. Um, so that was just like my immediate thought of a musical moment as something that's not distinctly musical, but they still use unwell to play themselves out of the season. And I, I it's just the combination of the song plus the joke of Rob Thomas's brains being, <laughs> which is the only way he'd be able to play it on guitar and sing it in through the story universe so yeah no it was it was definitely rob thomas's brain getting eaten <laughs> what about you what was your musical moment oh that's fun that's super fun um i went with um well one that has been shrinking about the places that won't surprise people is transparent you just like singing drag a little pill uh which i thought was 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 really a nice way to end that character's journey kind of over the course of the season also i want to give some love to marie bamford for lady, lady dynamite because of course she plays the violin in that and you can it's obvious that she's had years of of uh, violin lessons when she was a kid um, and growing up, and uh, she does she does the violin part. That's that's what it should look like. <laughs> Casting directors who are looking for people who can also play the violin. That's what it looks like. Um, uh, but but then she sings. I love that she's so accurate with the violin, and then she's singing with Bert, her dog, and it's just the most obvious fake guitar play you've ever seen. It's I, I enjoy that they have both in the same show. It's super fun. Um, but the the main one for me is the get down, and I really I love the battle they had at the end of the season um, with the get down crew um, versus the other guys, and like of course I love that they throw in the the Star Wars. Um, horns and everything which is so fitting for the time period too that's super fun and and the energy and enthusiasm and effervescence of that scene it's so it's so effective and uh 
as a culmination of what we've been seeing them work towards, it really is a terrific pay. I mean, this could have gone in our finale payoff um, segment as well, but I, it's a really fun segment. Hopefully by now, I think people will have heard this. If not, spoiler alert, it's coming later in our interstitial, like between segments music. But um, yeah, it's a terrific scene and very well, very well played by everybody. Um, what about best dance, dance sequence? Uh, I only had one choice um, because I hadn't watched The Get Down. Um, so I didn't have any dancing from The Get Down to weigh into consideration. Um, so it's Tap That Ass from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, me too. Um, it's yeah, so fun. No, it's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it calls to mind for me, like Moses supposes, um, from Singing in the Rain, uh, another tap number, but it's also a tap number that makes extensive use of props and different types of surfaces and tap that ass is the same thing both in terms of like dealing with like kitchen counters where they've had sex or tables where they've had sex or finishing on her chest and (laughs) it's just it's it's just very funny and, and i can't even like knock it for the different dance skills between the two dancers because well, no one's as good as Vincent Rodriguez and um, that you can get on a television <laughs> It's not Santino's fault, yeah. You know, it's not his fault. I mean, they probably had like a week, two weeks to maybe rehearse this. So, I mean, the fact that he's keeping up as much as he is, I think is really impressive. But it's just a delightful little number. And I love the play of doing a tap song with Tap That Ass being the title. It's just, it's, it's just pleasant. And I'm so glad they found space for it before... Mm-hmm. You know, like for a number that had the two of them together before uh, Santino left, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I definitely had that one. I also wanted to give a shout out to Agent Carter and their dream. Se- I, I was like, should this be dream sequence? Oh, should it be yeah. dance number? Um, that uh, we tapped that ass. The choreographer for uh, Chris's girlfriend is Catherine Burns. Agent Carter uh, had Louis Van Amstel uh, come on for their dream sequence, but it was it was super fun and just the 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 right splash of old Hollywood for the the tone of the season it works so well and uh, I appreciate you know seeing all the so you think you can sorry I know that they start many of them started so you think you can dance and they end up on Dancing with the Stars but I they had a really very good ensemble for that one and I really appreciated seeing seeing some some familiar faces there um, what about best deployment of a pre existing song. Right, so I cheated. Um, I picked two songs, Yay! but they're from the same episode, so it counts as one. <laughs> uh, no, I picked um, uh, People vs. OJ's March, 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 which has uh, Sour Times and A Kiss from a Rose. Um, I love Kiss from a Rose. It's a fantastic song, but their use of it as Marsha has her new look and everything is really terrific. Uh, and it like speaks to her degree of confidence that she's having in this new look and everything along those lines while still being kind of cheeky because we as the audience know how this turns out mm-hmm. and there's this is a rose that's not going to bloom and I think that that's a really nice cheeky kind of campy way to play up the kind of 90s overwroughtness of a kiss from a rose can be but then Sour Times close out, closes out the episode with Marsha in a terrible place from her dealing with the fallout from her new look but then Furman walks into the courtroom to go on the stand and everything is bad and Sour Times use is really really effective there and I feel like both of these songs really capture Marsha, the Martianess of this particular episode but a lot of the show's use of Marsha throughout and they're just two really good uses of songs 
contextually, but also within the 90s time period. I think they just work really, really well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's that's a great pick. I went with Black Mirror and uh, Sinjipero, Sinjipero. Um, uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, which is such a lovely way to end the, the episode. And uh, not only is it the right sound and feel for, for them driving in the convertible and everything with the top down, um, but just Heaven is a Place on Earth ties in with this choice that we've seen of is she going to stay or is she going to not and hope that she's reunited with her family in heaven if there is one and what does that mean and there's so much in that choice and so i think that the the connection with the 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 message of the song and in and that embrace of of her happiness in sanjay para is really terrific so i that's what i went with that one i thought it was a really canny choice um now our last category is best montage and i'm really bad at these <laughs> because by the end of the year i've forgotten all of them so i just kind of cheated and looked for next i was like i can then include another crazy girlfriend song angry sad which is josh's like footloose style montage to his karate while he's dealing with his all his feels over rebecca uh, being involved with Greg. So I went with that one. But as I mentioned, you have a, like, a more legit pick. So um, what did you go with? Right. Well, I'm the same way with montages, is that unless it's like really stand out in some way, shape, or form, and even then I'm probably going to forget about it, just how my brain stores stuff. So I was really glad that there was one that aired within a week ago that I was <laughs> able to able to use. And my friend Danielle and I have been catching up on Sense8. Um and we both really enjoyed it and so the Christmas special was dropped this week in advance of season two and you haven't watched it yet and I, I apologize for spoiling this delightful thing for you uh, but there's a special dance birthday dance party for all the sense-eights or sense-its sense-its however it's pronounced yeah. Yeah, yeah whatever and so this is a number that allows everyone to like be dancing in their respective locations, but then together in their all their locations. And it's just such a big celebration. And one of the things that I really keyed in on while Danielle and I were catching up on the show is that when they do these kind of big things, they really revel in it. Like they take the time to let it play out and have like an internal conclusion to it as opposed to just kind of going well this was really nice but we need to get back to the mythology thing and it's like no the connection between everyone the community is really really important to that end the birthday dance party turns into a birthday orgy party oh and... <laughs> oh sense eight never change <laughs> never and change. <laughs> it's it's much more like intense uh I don't want to say intense, but it's much more involved than their first orgy was in mm -hmm. the first in the first season. That everyone's involved in this one. Uh, That's impressive. Yeah, right. A few <laughs> folks were left out of the first one, just time, place, and also the whole. We don't know quite how this works yet, but we know now. And <laughs> so there's a big orgy involved with everyone, and it's really it's really delightful to see like everyone crammed into a bathroom stall having sex and a prison cell and all this sort of stuff it's really really great it's really it's just this swarm of different bodies and it's just it's a terrifically put together montage of 
sex and joy and dancing and music and it's just it's really really good i can't wait for you to watch it and then you can text me and be like you were right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I had so much fun with sensei last year um i look for i just haven't had the, the time but i really look forward yeah. to catching up with that so that is a terrific uh terrific pick and i look forward to, to catching up on it no i'm looking at the time and i'm looking at the list of categories we haven't started yet and i'm thinking for all of our sanity and our listeners' sanity, we're going to break the smorgasbordgy into two weeks this year. Uh, so we're going to call it a, a first half, a part one, right here at the end of this segment. Um, you can find a post for this episode up at thetelevers.org. You can leave us your comments and let us know what you thought of the, of the year's TV of the, and the first half of the smorgasbordgy and your hopes for the second half of the smorgasbordgy. You can also email us at televers at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like the page to start up a conversation there. We're on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews there. We're on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed, an M3 unchaptered feed. We would appreciate ratings and reviews there as well. Happy New Year! Leave us a rating or a review. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse Noel. You are at Noel RK. And uh, yes, it's 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 been a, an entertaining first half. I'm I'm twiddling my fingers, Mr. Burns style, because we have a lot more entertaining categories yet to come. Uh, so so let us know what you think of the first half of our smorgasbordy, and we eagerly anticipate your thoughts and as well as your thoughts for what is yet to come in week two. Uh, so much entertaining TV in 2016. We had to split it into two weeks or three weeks at this point. Um, so that will wrap up part one. Uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week with part two of the Smorgasbordy and another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>